morning we want to turn in our scriptures back to the book of 1 Thessalonians and we'll continue with our study of this much loved book in the fifth chapter is where we'll be at this morning. And we will read uh, verses 1 uh, on through down to verse 11. It's the word of the Lord according to the Apostle Paul. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father God, we are thankful for these words, Lord, that you have seen fit in the multitude of your mercy to convey yourself unto your children, to reveal yourself unto us, and not only uh, yourself, Lord, but uh, what you have accomplished by the power of your hand and you've also revealed unto us what you intend to accomplish by the power of your hand. So that we are not lost in the dark, groping about in, an, in a lost manner. But Father, we have the light of your holy scriptures uh, to point us in the right direction. Oh, what a grace this is, Lord Jesus, that you have loved us to this end. Uh, to not leave us directionless or uh, in the dark, Father, you've not left us comfortless, but you've sent your Holy Spirit unto us uh, to comfort us in the multitude of these words. God, we're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ, uh, for the day that is certain that we look forward to, Lord, when uh, you shall return with all your holy angels and all those departed saints that have gone before, and we shall behold you in your glory and in your righteousness, and we shall be called up to meet you together in the air. What a blessed moment that is, and what sweet consolation that gives each and every one of us uh, as we think upon these things and look forward to the hope that we have in him. Oh Lord, this morning, as we have assembled in your house to worship and praise your great and majestic name. We trust that we have been allowed to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we are going now into the further part of this service, Lord, to continue our praise and our worship of you. I trust, Lord, in your great and glorious name that you would bestow your spirit upon me, Father, that I may preach 
the unadulterated word with power and demonstration of thy spirit that the word uh, would go forth from my mouth and enter into the hearts of your children and draw them close to you, that it would enter into the minds of your children and that it would uh, establish them more fully in your great and glorious truth. O oh God, all things are vain and, and vanity and vexation of spirit without your grace. Father, and I stand in need of your grace this morning. I, I need you desperately, Father, in order to preach the word in a way that has uh, an effect upon all of us, Lord. And I pray this morning uh, for your children that are sitting under the sound of my voice, whether they be assembled here in person or whether they be viewing online. Father, I pray that you would work powerfully in their hearts and their minds, God, and that you would cause them to see how this precious truth relates directly to their lives. And may the word uh, radically change uh, their minds and their hearts and the whole of their being so that they fall more intimately and deeply in love with you so that they are uh, comforted over their, uh, over their sins and over their troubles, Lord, and uh, that the, they would have a renewed vitality to serve you in vigor uh, of their spirits, Lord. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to be with this congregation, that you would add unto her daily such as should be saved. God, that you would draw those out of this community who are uh, overcome with sin and living in rebellion, Father, and those that are lost in doctrinal errors, Father, that you would deliver them from these oppressions and that you would bring them to this place, Father, that we may love them and comfort them and instruct them in the ways of truth and so that we may all worship together. God, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake and for his glory, and amen. As we studied last uh, Sunday, considering the uh, doctrine of the resurrection and the return of our Lord, Paul told us that this is something that he would not have us to be ignorant of. There's certain things that, yes, it's probably true that it's best that we remain ignorant of, as the saying goes, ignorance is bliss, but when it comes to the resurrection of the dead and the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is something that we are to be well educated in. It's something that we are to be knowledgeable of. It is something that we are to be firmly rooted and grounded in. Because we are not to be ignorant of those that sleep. Uh, because if we are ignorant of those that sleep, uh, we will develop a bitterness in our hearts. We'll develop a hopelessness within our souls uh, when those that we love depart from us. But when we are educated in the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise that he has given of his future return, it fills our hearts with joy. It fills our hearts with peace and consolation and gives us vitality for the future. We look forward to a day, as Paul said, of the day in which Christ is going to return. His return is certain. There is coming a day when the Lord himself shall return with a shout. And we looked at how that is to issue a command. Christ is coming back and the moment he enters the scene, he is going to, end, uh, he is going to uh, give a powerful 
command. And that command is going to be heard worldwide by all those that sleep in him. And not only those that sleep in him, but all those even that are outside of him. Uh, For the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. Those that have done good, he would, Jesus would say in John chapter 5, those that have uh, done good unto the resurrection of life and those that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. When Christ returns, everyone's coming back to life. Those that have been placed in him in the covenant of redemption before the world began, those that have been chosen in Christ, those that have been uh, predestined, that means to have their, their destination set before him, are going to come forth and are going to meet him in the air. The Lord is coming back with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And that is the voice of Christ himself is going to shake the earth from pole to pole and with the trump of God. And we talked about how those trumpets are used to call uh, the children of God to assemble This is not going to be a secret. This is not going to be done in the corner somewhere. But when the Lord returns, every eye shall behold him. There is no such thing as a secret rapture. Jesus is not going to come back and take a few home and then uh, uh, give space for repentance. But when Christ returns, Paul says, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom. Then is the end. That is the end of the world when Christ returns. Those that are dead in Christ shall rise first. We talked about that order of the resurrection. That it's going to be a glorious event to see the graves giving up those departed loved ones. And those around us as their bodies raise and are changed miraculously. And the souls, you know, we talked about how the souls come with them when he comes back. And I I have this picture in my mind of all the the bodies coming out of the ground and the souls flying around and entering back into the body. There's this clash and it's just this miraculous event. It's going to be the greatest event of your life. Uh, You have known nothing in this life. You know... Uh, those in the, in past days, get this, those in past days got to see some miraculous events. Those, that, those 12 apostles that were there at the grave of Lazarus got to see Lazarus come back to life. Uh, they got to see uh, the young Jairus' daughter come back to life, the widow of Nain. They got to see her child come back to life. They got to see the blind made whole, the lepers healed, the lame made to walk, but nothing is going to be as grand and glorious as the moment that Christ returns. Those were single events, you see. They were done in succession where they only saw this miracle and that miracle. But on the day of the resurrection, the multitude rises. What a grand and glorious event that is. I get excited talking about it. When that happens, and the dead in Christ rise first. And then, we which are alive and remain, I hope Christ comes back tomorrow, because I want to see this. Those of us that are alive and remain will be called to meet him in the air, and we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And our bodies will no longer uh, be prone to sin, but our sin nature will be eradicated from us. We will no longer be a displeasure to the Lord, but we will serve Him in righteousness and all honor for all of eternity. We'll never again be a disappointment.
I look forward to that day when I can look in my father's eyes and know that I will never disappoint him again. I'll never struggle with pride. I'll never struggle uh, with all the other things that I struggle with. But I will be holy before him for all of eternity. What does Paul end that with? He says, wherefore, because of all this grand and glorious stuff, Comfort one another with these words. I don't care what you find yourself in, what situation you find yourself in in this life. The message of the imminent return of Christ is a message that should bring great comfort to your soul in the midst of all your trouble. Because it is the message that all your trouble is just temporary. Is but for a moment. It's just here for a little while and then it's over. But the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and the bliss and the glory and the joy and the peace is everlasting. At that moment, it's everlasting. That should comfort us. The message of the, of the resurrection is a powerful message. It's not to be taken lightly. Paul moves on in verse five, or chapter 5 with a continuation of this topic of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has promised to return some sweet day. But Paul's going to give us something, how that relates to our lives right now. That's what chapter 5 is all about. He's not moving on to a different topic He's continuing his topic, but he's talking about what that means for us today. Because we can develop a nonchalant attitude of, well, that's yet future. There's coming a day sometime way off, right? And so it doesn't really have any real bearing on me in this moment at this time in my life. We can develop that attitude. We should live, and this is the point, the overall point that Paul is making, we should live as if the return of the Lord could happen at any moment. It could happen before I get done preaching today. It could happen before you get home today. It could happen before you go to sleep tonight. It is a possibility that it could happen. And we should live with that type of mindset that the Lord could come back at any moment. And he says in verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. That phrase, times and seasons, is used three times in the Word of God. It is used the first time in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. And Daniel is speaking of the times and the seasons. And what this has direct relation on is, you remember the story, Daniel is uh, told that the king has had a dream, the wise men could not interpret the dream. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't interpret it because they didn't know what the dream was. And the king had said, well, I'm going to kill all y'all because y'all don't know what you're talking about. 
And Daniel gets word of it, and he says, wait a minute, king, give me a couple of days. I know a God that knows the dream and knows the interpretation of it. So Daniel prays. The Lord gives him the dream, and the dream was that there was a statue with a head of gold, and then it goes on down to where it has the feet are clay and iron, and the stone comes out of the mountain and crushes the statue to bits, right? That statue, in my mind, represents the first advent of the Lord, but also has a future uh, bearing on the finality of the end of the world. When It is true that when Christ came the first time, that he broke apart the kingdoms of this world, and, and that Christianity has infiltrated and changed society everywhere it went. But I think there is a greater fulfillment when Christ returns, there is going to be a total obliteration and annihilation of the stone that is carved out of the mountain without hands. It is of the times and the seasons. And again, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 is talking about, again, the last days. Of the times and the seasons, there are times and seasons in which humanity is going to pass through different seasons of, of life and um, development that we are going and must needs pass through before the Lord returns. But he says, but of these times and these seasons, speaking of the season of the Lord's return, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. Now this phrase, day of the Lord, in the New Testament is used speaking of the revelation of Christ. It speaks about the Lord coming, but it doesn't always refer to the Lord coming back at his second uh, coming, his return. It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes uh, it means the Lord coming in a display of power. Uh, we read in Matthew chapter 24 when Christ is speaking about uh, the destruction of the temple, that is AD 70, and the uh, scattering of the Jewish nation. He speaks about it as the day of the Lord. Why does he speak about it as the day of the Lord? Because AD 70 was when Christ returned in a display of power exerted on the Jewish nation for their rebellion. It's spoken of the day of the Lord because it was truly the day of the Lord's triumph over the nation of Israel. So we have to be careful whenever we find the day of the Lord to make sure which day in particular is speaking about. There are times within the church that the Lord returns in a display of power. You've heard of revival seasons when the Lord returns and there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Lord's church and multitudes are added uh, very quickly to the Lord's church. That is a day of the Lord. When the Lord returns in a display of power. 
We also read of whenever churches are disobedient and there is a destruction of the church, a removal of the Spirit, that is also a day of the Lord. Because the Lord has returned in power to execute judgment on disobedient children. That's the day of the Lord. So we have to be careful of how we read the day of the Lord in the Word of God. Given the context that this day of the Lord is, we can rest assured that the day of the Lord that is under consideration is none other than the day of the Lord that is spoken of in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and in verse 10, where he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The day of the Lord that is spoken of here is the return of Christ. There is the resurrection of the dead. There is the, the destruction of this planet when God is going to destroy everything that we know and we see. I mean, everything's going to be obliterated in this universe. The heavens, the earth is going to be dissolved. It is temporary. That is the day of the Lord that is being spoken of in this passage. And he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Both Paul said it and Peter said it. The day of the Lord, the day when this happens, when the dead in Christ rise, uh, when the dead are risen, when we are changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, when the earth is destroyed and the earth is made new, all of that happens in the day of of the Lord, and it cometh as a thief in the night. That means it comes unexpectedly. A thief does not show up at your house when you are expecting him, does he? He would not be a very good thief. If you knew that so and so was going to come to your house at two o'clock in the morning, well, I would be sitting there with my shotgun waiting on it, right? Anybody would, because you're going to protect what is yours. He would not be a very good, a good thief. But a thief comes when you're not expecting him. He comes unexpectedly, and he comes with great power, right? A thief, if he's going to rob you, they're going to break in your home, and they're going to try to find you as fast as they can and subdue you, you're going to run in the door pointing the gun in your face so that you don't have anywhere to move, right? Anywhere to go. It's typically how thieves work. 
Christ, when he returns, is going to be sudden, is going to be a moment of power, is going to be undeniable. He comes as a thief. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Peace and safety. Matthew chapter 24. Speaking of similar events, the Lord Jesus also makes mention of the demeanor of the wicked at the Lord's return. Chapter, uh, verse 36, he says this, But as that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father. But as the days of no were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As in the days that, as, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, Noah's out there building the ark. He's preparing for the day that God unleashes his wrath on the world. Noah is a child of light. He knows that he doesn't know the exact moment it's going to start raining, does he? Did God tell Noah when it was going to start raining? He didn't. He didn't tell Noah it was going to start raining, but he told him it was coming. And because he told Noah it was coming, what did Noah do? Noah began to build an ark. And Noah worked for, I believe it was a hundred and something years, if I'm remembering right. Uh, it was a long, long time. I do remember that. Noah works and he builds this giant boat on dry land in a, a world that had never seen rain before. That takes faith, right? But God said it. Noah believed it and it showed because of what he did. Now, no doubt, Noah told everybody why he was doing what he was doing. And what did they do? They continued to eat and drink and be merry because obviously they didn't believe that it was going to rain anytime soon, right? They had never seen rain before. And so they just continued to live their life as if God was not going to make good on his word. But then, out of nowhere, raindrops began to fall. And it was sudden, right? It was not some trickle and it would just last it as just trickle, trickle, trickle. No, the, the word of God reports the events of the flood as a instantaneous event where the fountains under the earth broke open and you had water gushing up from under the earth and the the uh, atmosphere around the earth was broken open and water was literally pouring 
You can imagine the worst rainstorm you've ever been a part of in your life where it is so hard that you cannot see in front of you and probably multiply that times 10 and that's the day of the flood. You had water coming up from under the earth, water coming from down from heaven and the water rises extremely fast. But God put Noah in the ark and he shut the door, right? That's how the return of the Lord is going to be. The wicked are saying, oh, we're good. We can do what we want to do. We can live however we wanted to live. We can give ourselves in marriage. We can continue our drunken parties and our drunken festivals. And we can continue to live in sin. But I can tell you that at the moment of the Lord's return, those that have that attitude are going to be utterly and absolutely surprised. Because when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And you know, if you review the record of the Word of God, you go through Noah's flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, the children of Israel, when they began to depart from the Word of God, that was always their attitude. Their attitude was, we're fine. What did they tell Jeremiah? They said, don't listen to Jeremiah. He's full of it. But then the moment came and God dropped the hammer and judgment was executed. We are living in a day when judgment is imminent. We are living in Noah's day. We are living in Lot's day. We are living in Jeremiah's day. You understand that this morning. It has always been that day. Because God has promised to return and judge the world. We are living in that day and we should live as if we're living in that day. And that's what Paul is saying. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. This should never be your attitude. You should never have the attitude, well, it's coming in the future. We should live as if the judgment is coming today. And we should adjust our lives accordingly. That's what Paul's saying here. We should never have a cavalier, nonchalant, apathetic, indifferent attitude about the return of the Lord. We should live as if he's coming today. And all the things in this life do not matter. Which means we should pursue a life of holiness. That's why Peter says, Considering these things... What manner of person ought ye to be in all manner of conversation? Considering that the world's going to be burned up and none of the things in this life matter, none of the presidents or, or kings are going to remain in office, what manner of men ought ye to be in all manner of conversation? He says, Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail... Upon a woman with child. Paul gives an illustration that any adult can relate to, right? 
The moment that a woman that is with child, when her water breaks, <laughs> right? When, when you conceive a child, you don't know when that child is coming. Now, you, we, we can kind of have an idea. We know two things. We know that it is coming, right? We live in a hope that the day is going to come that we are going to deliver that child. And as it gets closer, what does the woman do? Could it be today? Right? Could it be today? Could it be today? Is today? I remember when we had Gideon. And my wife was, was getting close to that time. I remember her saying, I just hope he comes today. I hope today's the day. You know, and so we'd get out and we'd walk the road and try to induce, uh, uh, induce the water to break and, and for her to go ahead and have him because she was anxious. She was expecting her child to come. She wanted to see her child. So two things about a mother with child. The child is going to be born. She knows that and she expects that and she looks forward to it with anticipation and hope. And when it comes, it comes suddenly, right? So you expect him to be born, but it oftentimes comes unexpectedly, right? <laughs> right? You don't know the moment, the hour, when it's coming. Sometimes it happens in your sleep. Sometimes it happens when you first get up in the morning. But when it happens, it's go then, right? Everything's happening. It's going. It's time to get to the hospital. Time to uh, lay down on the bed. Whatever uh, happens... When you give that birth to that child, whether you have them at home or in the hospital, it's time to give birth to the child. It, it does not, it, at that moment, the birth that's here is coming. So it's imminent and it's sudden. And that's why he compares it to the birth of a child. And then he says, and they shall not escape. For the child of God, those that are in Christ, if we are living in conjunction to the Word of God, the return of the Lord is going to be the most glorious, splendid moment of our lives. You know, if the Lord returns and we're doing something sinful... We're going to be very much ashamed. Amen? It's like when daddy gets home and you're doing something you're not supposed to do. At all other times, you're running out the door. You're wanting to meet him. You're wanting to hug him. You're wanting to embrace him. But if you're doing something that you wanted, weren't supposed to do, if I pull up in the yard and I watch one of my kids haul off and knock the mess out of the other one, the reaction is the same. The reaction is not, daddy! It's, oh no. <laughs> you know, and that's the reaction of a child of God that is, is going to have if they are living in sin the moment of the, world's re, the Lord's return. They're going to be like, oh no. They're going to be filled with shame. It's not going to be a joyous moment for those children of God. But if you are living in a way that is honoring and pleasing, if you are striving to live in a way that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord, the moment that the Lord enters the scene and breaks open the sky and returns in glory, it's going to be a peaceful, joyful, satisfying event in your life that can compare to none other. But for the wicked, 
for those that are living in sin, are rebelling against Christ, against God, that have no love in their heart for the Lord, it is going to be a moment of sheer terror. Can you imagine Christ coming back? And and by the way, when he returns, he's going to look like he does in the book of Revelations, Revelation, with eyes of fire and hair that is white, and his vesture is going to be brilliant and shining, and his feet are going to be the uh, of, of molten brass, it says. That means the, the yellow glowing color of brass when it comes out of the fire. Can you imagine... A Christ that looks like that. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not this, it's, it's not this, oh, I just want to go touch him kind of individual. If this being is in heaven looking at me with eyes of fire and I'm a wicked individual, I'm going to be utterly scared to death. Because those are eyes of judgment. And they shall not escape. At the time of the Lord's return, there's nowhere to hide. The God that sees all and knows all is here. He's here. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you feel. And he is here to render unto every man according to their deeds. And you know that. When the Lord returns, there's going to be no denying that fact. He is here to judge. The quick and the dead. The living and the dead. Those that are alive... Those that have died. But he's here to judge. There's going to be a terrible moment. He says, but ye brethren. You brethren. Ye brethren. Are not in darkness. You're not in the dark. You're not in darkness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. Right? You've heard some people say, well, the only person that knows when Jesus is coming back is the Lord in heaven. So we have no idea when he's coming back. And to, in one sense, that is true. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. You don't know the minute. You don't know the second when the Lord is going to return. No man knows that. That's why date setting If you see someone setting dates, that is an absolute obvious sign that they are a false prophet. They're not real. They're not true. They're not servants of the Lord because no man knows the day of the Lord's return. However, as children of God with the revelation of the Lord... 
we are not as the children of darkness who do not have the revelation of the Lord. We have information that allows us to recognize the signs of his coming. We have information that tells us, hey, it's getting very close. Just as a woman in childbirth, as her child develops, she recognizes the signs that it could be any day, right? When she's in the first trimester, her hope is that it's not coming today because the life is not at a point that it can sustain life on its own. But as it grows and develops, there are signs and indications that it could be today. He could come early. She could come early. She doesn't know the exact moment that she knows it's getting close. Does that make sense this morning? That makes sense to you? That when the Lord returns, that those that are children of God should not be totally taken by surprise. He says, ye are all the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. We are children of light. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You are children of the eternal day. You are children of the light because God has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's shined in our hearts. He's given us a revelation of himself. So we're not of the dark. We're not of the, of the night. We're of the day, of the eternal day. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. We're not to act as the wicked in this world who live as if God is not a reality and his return is not imminent. There is nothing worse than a slumbering Christian. Do you realize that? Nothing on earth worse. Paul would go as far as to say in, 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 in Hebrews that it had been better had they never known of the gospel. And I'm going to paraphrase, but his meaning is 
It had been better had they never known of the gospel than to hear the good news of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, believe it, and then turn their back on Christ and trod the Son of God under their feet. God holds us to a higher standard because we know better. Right? We're not children who don't know better. We know better. We have an exalted and higher knowledge than those children of God who have never heard the word of the Lord. We know of our salvation. We know what God expects of us. And for a, a Christian to fall asleep and to become inactive, because that's what sleep, uh, that's what sleep indicates. It, 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 it means that we are inactive and unaware, because that's what you are when you're asleep. You're inactive and you're unaware. You're indifferent. So when a Christian goes to sleep, he, de he develops this attitude. How do I know I'm a sleeping Christian? Where the Word of God has very little value in your life. Where God is not but a passing thought in your life. When you're no longer concerned daily about pleasing the Lord in your life. When you're no longer making decisions in your life about, uh, based on does this please the Lord or not. When none of those things are a part of your life, you have fallen into a deep sleep and you need to wake up. Because you are not of the night. You're of the day. You've allowed Satan to give you the tonic of this world that puts you into a state of slumber. Wake up. A Christian that is awake is one that is active and cares about his Lord. He is actively doing what pleases the Lord. And he cares what pleases the Lord. And so he makes every decision in his life based on whether this pleases the Lord or not. Should I watch this television show? Does it please the Lord or not? Should I say this to my coworker? Does it please the Lord or not? Should I show up at work at this time because it pleases the Lord or not? We are of the light, we're of the day. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Let us watch. That word watch means to keep awake and be vigilant. Keep awake and be vigilant. That means to be zealous, to be active. He says and be sober. That means to be discreet or careful in action. We're to be careful of what we do, what we say, what we think. Why? Because of the Lord's return. Right? What does the resurrection and the return of the Lord mean to me today? It means that the Lord could return today. The signs are here. 
He could return any moment in my life, and I should be living a life that pleases Him. I should stay awake, looking for Him to come back. I should be careful of what I do, what I say, what I think, because I want to please the Lord that has saved me. Because none of this thing, none of this life matters because it's all going to get burned up and everybody's going to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? That's how we should live. He says, but let us who are of the day, let us who are of the eternal day, the day that never ends, let us be sober, be discreet, be careful, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Because we're of the day, we're going to put on the armor of light. God has given us a special armor to, to defend ourselves against the attack of Satan because you're at war until God returns. When God returns... The war's over. The enemy's finally defeated. Death is, is slaughtered because everybody's broken out of its chains. <laughs> right? Satan is cast into the lake of fire. All enemies are defeated. But until that moment, we're at war. And if we're going to be careful, we need to put on God's special armor of light. And that armor is the Holy Trinity of Christian activity. Have you noticed that this trinity is all through the book of 1 Thessalonians? Go back and read it. Paul would go and say, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, faith, hope, love. Right? He says that over and over and over again. He focuses on these three attributes because these are essential for the babe in Christ to grow up into a mature adult. Faith, love, and hope. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. That is to guard your heart. Faith comes from the heart. What is he saying uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, For if you believe from the heart, faith in the heart, it comes from the heart, is worked in us in the new birth. Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. There's faith and love together. Protect your heart. The seat of your emotions. That's what the heart is. The heart is the seat of your emotions. It's, it's where you feel. And faith is much more than a feeling, but it is a feeling. Faith is knowing absolutely because you know in your heart. It is the heart Feeling and knowing together is where everything comes together and love is brought out. Faith worketh by love, Peter would say. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation. How are you going to protect your mind in these last days? Waiting on the return of Christ to come back and, and, and obliterate everything else. 
How are you going to protect your mind? You're going to protect your mind with the hope of salvation. That means you're going to have the mindset of the imminent return of Christ because that's the moment your salvation is realized for all of eternity. Let's continue on. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed you to wrath. God has not uh, uh, set you down to endure his wrath, but God has appointed you to something. God has elected you before the foundation of the world. He's chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he's predetermined your destination before the world ever began. He preset your, your, your destination before you were even born. A thought in your mom and daddy's mind, God decided where you were going to end up. He has determined your your end and what is the end that you would obtain and that word obtain literally means obtaining a particular purchased possession so when you pay for something when you take it you are obtaining it now have we purchased anything no but somebody has amen amen Christ has purchased for you something. And one day you're going to come into possession of it. It's not something that you do by an action of yourself, but he's going to bring you into possession of it. The day that the Lord returns, he is going to bring you in to that which he has purchased for you. Through his own blood. You have been appointed by God the Father to obtain, to come into possession of the particular purchase that Christ has purchased for you. That's where you end your life. That's where your life winds up, is in heaven with the Lord because he's purchased it for you. And he's appointed it, appointed you to that. And because God has appointed you to that, there is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing in this life, nothing that you do, nothing you fail to do that can rob you of that possession. Because you're simply the recipient. You're not part of the transaction. Got it? You're not part of that transaction. That transaction is between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're only the recipient. The transaction has been completed. The only thing that, that, that remains is for you to take possession. Now, I'm going to give you a little secret. Christ paid for it, and you know what he's done? He's given you the receipt. So that you are aware of what he's paid for. So that you know exactly what he paid for me. He's given you the receipt. 
He says, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we obtain it? By the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased, who died for us. Who died for us. He died for me. He died for you. He shed his precious blood, removed the penalty of our sins, which is to deliver us out from under the wrath of God that we rightly deserve, who died for us, that whether we wake, that means we're awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Now, this is not talking about sleeping. He's going back to using sleep in the same way that he used it in chapter 4 in verse 14 when he says, uh, for if we believe the, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That means that it died. So whether we're alive at Christ's return or we died before Christ's return, we shall live together with him. Regardless of what happens between now and his return, whether we're alive when he comes back or whether we die when he comes back, we're going to live together with him because Christ has died for us and we were appointed to the possession of the salvation with him. Now, based upon that fact, how should we live our lives? You live it as if he's coming back today. You live it as if nothing in this world really matters. Because it doesn't. You live in such a way that's going to please your Lord and Savior. Wherefore, because of this, verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. You need to be comforting one another with these words, with this recognition, with this knowledge, and edify one another even as also ye do. That means build one another up. So we come to church every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, looking for the day that he returns. And we come here to comfort one another and edify one another, build one another up, encourage one another so that we can live a life that pleases the Lord and Savior who hath bought us by his own blood and saved us from the wrath that is to come. I'm thankful this morning that on the day that Jesus returns, when there shall be no escape from the the mighty and sovereign Lord, on that day when he returns with eyes of fire and, and, and righteous and holy judgment, that I don't have to be afraid. And because of that, I'm going to live for him every moment of every day. Because he's worthy. Jesus is coming back, and what a day that'll be. I can't wait to see the dead in Christ risen. And those of us who are alive and remain, I can't wait to hear the voice of the archangel saying, Arise! And hearing the trumpet blow. What a day that'll be. Because of the I can't wait, I'm going to live for him today. The resurrection and the return of Christ is a very, very important doctrine. You know, and if this doctrine ever becomes just whatever to us, we need to examine ourselves because we've fallen asleep and we're not of the night, we're of the day. 
We need to arm ourselves with the armor that Christ has provided and look for his coming. May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace.